0: Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. This is the Highlights podcast. Real, some real fascinating conversations today. We talked about the whole concept of leaving an inheritance for your children and how much today's young people are kind of banking on that money being there for them down the road. We also
1: talked to an economist about Kijiji and the secondhand economy and uh, how big it is, how much it's grown uh, since, uh, well, the Internet and Kijiji websites like that came around, but also what kind of insights it gives us into the uh, more general economy. You can listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge, weekday mornings. 9.30 to 12.30 on News Talk 770. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Uh, what are we watching here? Are we going to get Chris Christie come out and say Donald Trump won't let me play with him or something? like that? What are we getting here?
0: Uh, I well, well, Chris Christie is supposed to be speaking soon here. Uh, so I, I don't know if Chris Christie is simply going to offer the Donald Trump response to the Mitt Romney speech. Maybe Chris Christie is going to come out and say, you know, uh, I heard Mitt Romney's speech and I woke up. I, I see the light. Thank you, Mitt. <laughs> Donald's terrible. I don't know what I was thinking.
1: Well Trump's got a rally here too in Portland, Maine, apparently. Um which is not far from Lewiston, Maine, which is where Muhammad Ali knocked out Sonny Liston. Anyway, um, so we're going to see we're going to see Donald Trump's reaction, I guess, response to what Mitt Romney had to say this morning. So this could be fun. This could be a day of fireworks on the soap opera that is American politics. Notwithstanding, we're going to keep our gaze here at home uh, for the next uh, little while, at least, and and talk about the perception that millennials have or might have about how much money they're going to get when their parents kick the bucket.
0: Well, and should people be? be banking on that. And and that's what's interesting about this new study is that it shows that a lot of millennials especially might be that they've got um, expectations as to to what might be waiting for them. And they may find themselves uh, a little disappointed down the road.
1: Let's bring our guest into this. This is uh, Fred Chalute, uh, an investment advisor for Van City Bank. Fred, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. It's good. it's good to have you here. So t- tell us, first of all, just about this study. Like, what, what, was the point of it so that you could ascertain some knowledge about uh, some of your customers and design some products or advice around it, or were you guys just trying to go out into the world and see what's going on?
2: We were just trying to see what's going on. Actually, I've seen that a few times where uh, parents' um, financial situations weren't such that they could actually leave big amounts to their children, and their children were expecting fairly large amounts. And I've seen it throughout my career. So Vansity actually did a report to try to start the conversation between parents and children about inheritance expectations.
1: Okay, so you want parents to sit down with their, with their 20-something kids and go, just so you know, we're broke. There's nothing for you <laughs> at the end of this.
2: <laughs> well, it's better than having the children waking up one day 20 years down the road, ex- having expected all that money and not having a, any money. Mm-hmm. So we find that there's a fairly significant gap between the expectations and what realistically might happen in the future. Right, I'll tell you right now. Sorry to cut in on you,
1: Rob, but I'll tell you right now: I don't want my parents to have that conversation with me. I'm just going to work from zero, and I won't be disappointed.
0: Well, okay, but I mean, yeah, for, for parents who who plan to leave something for their kids, does that suggest that you know it should be uh, like a surprise to the kid? You know, because kids are going to notice if you know. Let's say uh, an elderly couple, if if they're really well off, they've got uh, they own property, they've got obvious assets. Uh, that the kids are going to make that assumption. Okay, well, when they die, that's going to come my way. Is is that a faulty assumption?
2: It, it is oftentimes. Um, oftentimes, parents will want to keep uh, their lifestyle going. Will want to stay with their friends. If their group of friends tend to travel lots, they'll want to go and travel lots too. Uh, they don't want to lose face. Um, and also, keep in mind, people are living longer now. So, healthcare as you age is. Fairly expensive, so um, there's a reason why we see some reverse mortgages and uh, that type of investments or uh, borrowing from the adults. So the kids might not be aware of their parents' situations. In fact, a lot of parents aren't even aware of their own financial situation if they're going to be able to make it through retirement. So as such, Van City recommends that people get a financial plan to clearly understand where they stand and where they might end up in 20 years from now.
1: Okay. So as part of that financial plan cuz this is where I have a really difficult time personally getting myself into this conversation. Because okay. like I'm the kind of guy, you know, I keep a spreadsheet and I figure out, you know, is my assets and liabilities and my income all blah blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. But, but I do not have a line for like and I project, you know, what my retirement's going to look like, but I do not have a, a line for how much money my mom and dad are going to leave behind when they when they uh, slip this mortal coil, right? So it should should People do what I'm doing, which is just not budget for that, or should they have a line item on their budget that says, realistically, this is what I can in- expect my inheritance to be?
2: I uh, highly suggest that people don't bank on it, because there's a lot of uh, people that are going to be disappointed over time. So... Not only should parents have a clear understanding of where they stand and how they're going to get through retirement, but children should actually take ownership of their own financial situation. One of the huge benefits that children have going for them is that they have time on their side. So if they start a financial plan now and let time compound their financial plan, they'll be so much better off than if they just wait for Maybe some an inheritance that will or will not be there in the future.
0: What's the thing? I mean, I'd, I'd love to be in a position to, to leave something to my kids. Um, I mean, part of the problem is, is, you know, Roger alludes to planning for retirement. Uh, am I going to live to eighty? Am I going to live to hundred? I, I, you know, so how much am I going to have left at, at the end of all of that? That that obviously is is going to depend in large part on what the first answer is.
2: Mm-hmm. So roughly at age 65, the average person that reaches age 65 will live another 22 years into retirement. So that's 87 years of age. Uh, When we do planning, we often recommend to use age 90, just to make sure that if you're a bit off the average and you live a bit longer so that you're not going to be running out of money. Yeah. Yeah, okay,
1: 90 I, all yeah. my grandparents lived into their 90s, so I'm terrified of that, too. That's
2: the, the, the so the You might you might want to use 95 for your planning, then. Yeah,
1: but it <laughs> makes it harder to plan, right, Fred? I mean, you know how this is. You've had this
3: conversation
2: <laughs>
1: with a lot of different people. Um, okay, so how does the conversation go between parents and their kids? Because... I, I don't know how excited I would be to get blindsided by my mom one day. I said, I want to talk to you about how
2: much money I'm leaving
1: behind from the grave, right? So how does that conversation go? It's uh,
2: it's not an easy conversation, so we all know that it's not an easy conversation. But it's one that needs to happen because um, the parents should just take a look at where they stand get a financial plan of how they're going to go through retirement and from that moment they could actually bring in the, the children to give them realistic expectations. In BC we find that roughly uh, nearly 40% of children are expecting over $300,000 to be left to them in inheritance. Now when we survey the parents only 12% are expecting to potentially leave that amount of money and I would probably guess that it's probably a lot less than that 12 percent that will actually be able to leave that type of money. So there's about 30 percent of children right now that are expecting a huge inheritance. So we, we need to bridge that gap and that's why Van City did the report so that we could actually start the conversation between parents and children.
0: Well, how much of that is a Vancouver thing? Because you know, if uh, you know if someone has parents living in Vancouver and they've lived there for years, uh, and they own a house, well, that's mm-hmm. a that's an immediate and obvious potentially multi-million dollar asset.
2: Yes, and there's lots of reverse mortgages also in really? Vancouver. So, well, I don't know the statistics, but the point being that it's probably something throughout the country, different dollars amounts. Um, depending on where you live, but there is an expectation, and this is what parents need to address with their children.
1: Okay, and then I I guess, I mean, it it kind of goes hand in glove that children need to start to wrap their heads around the idea that maybe there's not a a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. It might just be more like a a, a, a dropped wallet.
2: Exactly. (laughs) And, And, I mean, whatever comes their way, it's just a bonus. That's the way it should be considered.
1: Okay. Yeah, fair enough, uh, Fred. Appreciate you taking us through the through the numbers on that one and, and this uh, this whole mentality about how to talk about inheritance. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Have right. a great day. Take care. That's uh, Fred Chalute. He is uh, an investment advisor for Van City Bank, and so like the numbers are are interesting. But Robert, it's, it's how the numbers play out, right? Because, um, and, and I, I kind of gleaned something from one of his responses there. So you got 39 of of the millennials surveyed uh, think that they're going to get more than three hundred thousand dollars from their parents. And they might be thinking about that from, well, mom and dad own a house on the west side. You know, when they kick the bucket, we could sell that house, probably get about $6 million for it. So that's north of $300,000. But then, Fred, what i glean from that is that uh, just as parents don't necessarily sit down with their kids and tell them about the reality of the inheritance situation, um, parents uh, probably also don't sit down with their kids and say, hey, we took out a reverse mortgage on the house. So well, that won't yeah. be your asset when we die right?
0: because yeah if you own that house I mean if you're in you know that position where you bought a home in Vancouver in like the 70s or 80s right for like you know five figures and now it's um, seven figures mm-hmm. then sure you you could do a lot of different things with that and that could be the basis for your retirement and that might be one way you you extract value from that asset and then yeah there's not going to be much to, to be passed on All right nine seven four eight two five five. I'm curious to know what people's
1: expectations are from uh, f- for their inheritance. I'm also curious to know if you've had that conversation with your kids, or like if you set them up. I read the story the other day that Elton John doesn't plan to pass his four hundred million dollars of net worth onto his son.
0: Well, Facebook guy, right? He's going to give it all away, Mark Zuckerberg. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Warren Buffett talks about how a couple hundred grand is really all he should leave to his kids. So nine seven four eight two five five. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into this matter after a quick break. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. I'm below him, below
0: right, it's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Another plan might be that uh, you know if your parents pass away, you can take all the stuff in the house and sell it on Kijiji. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that after 1130.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, you ever go to an estate sale, by the way? It's like a garage sale where someone died, and you're like, ah, I feel dirty haggling over over the stuff with you
0: okay well nine seven four eight two five five I think a lot of people want to talk about this so the study from Van City uh, this bank in Vancouver saying you know, a lot of Millennials seem to be banking on having a, a big inheritance come their way when their parents pass away and that perhaps they should not be banking on that so the conversations maybe that need to take place or at least you know the maybe the expectations need to be tempered
1: All nine seven four eight two five five let's take uh, Jason right off the hop here hi Jason
3: Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm
2: a 19-year-old, and I don't believe that Millennium should be relying on their parents to hand down certain amounts of money or anything like that. It should be up to the kids to work and create a sufficient life that they can live off for themselves.
1: Yeah, brother. Preach it. I'll tell you something, Jason. You, you sound like the kind of guy to me who would be really disappointed in your you know, 50s or however old you are when your parents pass away. Uh, yeah. And they don't leave you anything to say, darn it, I, I could have spent the last 40 years building my own wealth. <laughs> right? You don't want to get to that yeah. point. Yeah. No, it's a great no, call.
2: No, for sure. And, like, in certain areas, like agriculture, for example, you almost need that, or family businesses of any kind. You might be getting more than 300000 like some people think, but. Mm-hmm. If, if it's not in the family or if you're not carrying on a tradition of some sort, in that case, agriculture, you shouldn't be relying on your parents.
1: Right on. Do you work in the ag business, Jason? Yes. Where, where, do. where do you work? Where do you farm?
2: Uh, just uh, north of Gleeson.
1: Cool, man. Hey, thanks for the hard work. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Yeah. All right, Bye. take care. Yeah, so, I mean, Jason yeah. talks about something interesting, right? Like if you work in in a, a, a farm family, then you might inherit well over $300,000 because that's the value of the land that you're working. But mm-hmm. it's a bit of a different thing there.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, how, where, where's that balance though, between, you know, wanting to build something and leave it for your kids, like building a business, right? You want to build up a business. You want to leave it to your kids, but then you don't want your kids to just kind of assume, well, all right, I'll be, I don't have to work cause I'm going to be fine. Cause as soon as uh, you know mom and dad die, I'm going to get that business. And, I'll be taken care of. So I, I think that's maybe the balance a lot of parents are trying to find. If that's something they're they're striving for, let's uh, let's go back to the phones. We'll get uh, Rob online next. Here, Rob, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I, uh Great
2: topic, by the way. Uh, I guess I want to talk about the flip side of it. You know, uh, in terms of planning for uh, you know uh, the inheritance. What if your uh, parents leave you with a huge debt? You know, uh, you know, with the tough economy in Alberta, you know, you got second mortgages you know medical bills you know uh, what else is out there i mean there's no way to really plan for that and i'm curious to see what your uh, guest would have to say about that
1: right i think the best strategy at that point is to just declare that you never knew them uh, these, these are not my parents <laughs> no but aren't there mechanisms and laws in place in place for that seriously rob i mean if you have if you left a debt presumably like a mortgage debt then i yeah you, i guess you'd get to sell the asset to pay off the debt if it's a house you you know you wouldn't necessarily get the house free and clear so uh, it, it seems to me like that's something that would be pretty cl- easily cleared up by law and I guess that's why you have lawyers probate these things.
0: All right, makes sense. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, maybe somebody who's gone through that might have a better idea. I don't know can can you know creditors come after kids? You know once a, a parent dies and they wow, well, this this guy still owes us money. I mean, they can go after the estate, I guess.
1: Yeah, the government goes after the estate right away, right? But I don't I think, they think they can say well there's
0: not enough left in the estate so you know, you better cough up the rest, you son of this person.
1: (laughs) You son of a rob. (laughs) Uh, Let's listen to Bonnie here. Bonnie's called in. Uh,
3: Hi, Bonnie. Thanks for the phone call. Hi. We're in our 50s, and we are sandwich kids. We're between older parents and and then our own children. And we have lost parents, so we've been through it. So, yes, creditors can go against the estate and claim debt. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh we were pleasantly surprised when our mother-in-law passed away and we got an inheritance from her. But for our own children, we've told them that we've paid for our funeral, and after that, they're on their own. They have to come up with a plan because we don't want them reliant on that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting perspective. And and I don't think it's wrong, by the way. I mean, like legacy, I think, is something that, that a lot of us want to pass on. We want to kind of uh, give our kids a, a bit of a head start or a push that maybe we didn't necessarily have. I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that. I think that you can take it too far by, you know, dropping several million dollars on, you, on your kid that they didn't have to earn. You know, In my opinion, that's the wrong way to go. But do, do you think you, you value having them carve their own path as opposed to helping them out a little bit?
3: Well yes, and then we, we don't want them waiting for us to just kick the bucket so they've got some cash. <laughs> right, yeah. And and you know, because you can't live that way. But uh, you know, we we do want to leave something behind, but again with you know, your your most people put their money into their homes and and assets so that when they're sold off there's they're worth something. Well let's face it, in Alberta your homes are worth nothing really right now.
1: At the moment, yeah. And I hope that turns around. Bonnie, thanks very much for the phone call. Appreciate that.
3: Thank you.
0: Yeah, I guess so Bonnie's strategy is, you know, lie to your kids, tell them you made bad investments, all the money's gone, there's nothing left. And then when you die, then they'll be pleasantly surprised. See, there's something for you. Don't you I feel, don't think she was saying that. Much. Like, am I the only
1: person in this in this conversation though? Like I appreciate all the phone calls that we're getting, and we're gonna get to more in just a sec, but I don't even want to I don't even like talking about this. Just because it's like this is a scenario that exists in a world where my where Bart and Barb are no longer around, right? Like do you know what I mean? Like I feel kinda I'm, I'm, I'm 100% honest in what I say. I expect nothing, and I don't want to bring it up with them. Uh, but but moreover, I really don't ever want to have a chat about this because we're talking about, like, that conversation starts with, son, when we die, <laughs> and I don't want to have that chat.
0: No, I am. Um, nobody does, I, I think. I don't I think don't you're alone in that. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, These are uncomfortable decisions. Now, that
1: kid in Three Amigos who looked at Chevy Chase and said, when you die, can I have your watch when you are dead? He didn't have a problem with it. Let's go to Harry on uh, line four. Hi, Harry. Thanks for phoning in. Hi.
4: How are you today? Yeah, we're well. That's wonderful. The one thing I want to say is when you talk to financial p- planners, I have a very funny joke for them. Uh, <laughs> a financial planner and I are working on uh, financial planning. and it turned out to be it was his. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> second thing is that I, I think inheritance, uh, a kid should be looking forward to the inheritance for sure. Kids They're should be looking forward to it. Okay. For example, I mean, if you look at that, when somebody comes to sell you a life insurance and they say, okay, let's see if your housewife is not working, she's still worth this much money. But you'll be surprised. May, the kids might not do too much in the household, but for sure they are a piece of entertainment all the time. They keep you on your toes. Yeah. You enjoy their games, you're, they, you take them out. It's a fun moments you have with them. So why not to return that back to them? I'm definitely, if I have some money, I want to give it back to them. I want to give it to them so that at least they can enjoy it. And secondly, inheritance is kind of very weird in my mind. I think we should be helping them as we go. For example, when they're going to the school rather than, uh, like, they take a huge amount of loan from studying right. to study. Let's help them. Let's help them. That's the time when they'll need the money. When I was going to the school, my father helped me. I thank him. He's my best friend. Yeah. He paid all my education fee even though I didn't use my studies, because that's a different circumstance. <laughs> Don't tell him that. No, but Harry, I,
0: I think, you know, I, I, I would agree with what you're saying. I think the issue here that this study was highlighting was that, A, you know, that the younger people seem to be banking on this, that they're planning around the assumption that it's going to be there, and maybe they're assuming that it's more than it actually is.
4: Yeah, and the gentleman was talking about Vancouver, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is because the East Indian population and Chinese population down there. Those are the people who like to save money and give it to their kids. And I think now the white kids or North American or Western people are, their kids are getting smarter too, and they think, oh, well, hang on for a second, if the Asian parents can do it, why can't you that's, do it?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting thing you bring up, Harry, because inheritance has a cultural significance, different significances in different cultures, doesn't it?
3: It is true, yeah. for sure.
1: Okay, Harry, thanks for the phone call. really appreciate it, sir. You're welcome. Take right. care, yeah. Is that more of like a Western thing that... uh you're on your own. Is <laughs> an Eastern thing? Is like you want to work really hard to to, to help your next uh, to help your progeny.
0: Right. Well, it's possible you can do both. You can encourage your kids to work hard and and save and and build up their own assets, and then still leave something to them. It doesn't have to be either or. A hybrid
1: example, if you will. Um, hi, Chris. How you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're well. Awesome. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to go in. Uh, I'm a young guy. I'm 22. And uh, I just wanted to say my point of view on it is kind of the same as my mom's. My grandmother passed away a couple years ago, and my grandfather was kind of worried about uh, saving money for his kids, doesn't want to go on any trips, anything like that. And uh, her point of view was, I am willing to go and pay your last credit card bill. So spend everything, and we'll cover the last credit card bill. Right. Because they don't expect anything whatsoever. And I, I kind of feel like that's the – your parents give you a heck of a lot when you're growing up. Yeah. And they they really do do a lot for you. And I'm the same as you, Roger. I don't like to think about a world where my parents aren't there. Yeah. So I'm willing to go and pay for their last credit bill or whatever. Yeah, last like debt they have.
1: That's a good. That, that's a really cool way to end this conversation because you're right. I don't want to see my parents pinching the pennies at the end of their life, and then like suddenly I, I wake up the next day and I'm so, like a hundred grand richer or something like that. Like, do, like you know what I mean? Like I want them to like. I want my parents to die like zip lining or something oh, yeah. amazing and expensive and fun. <laughs> I don't. I don't want them to have a boring uh, twilight. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Not for the thanks for the call, Chris, and Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. You know, all these young people listening.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's, that's good. Why,
1: that's why I don't like calling out millennials. They're listening all the time.
0: All right. Well, I'd alluded to Kijiji. We're going to talk about what, what gets referred to as the the Kijiji economy or the secondhand economy. Economist uh, Lindsay Teds is going to be with us in a few minutes. King Break Breaking Ridge on News Talk Seven Seventy.
1: Talk for Calgary on News Talk 770.
0: We're talking about the World Cup of Hockey coming up after uh, 12 o'clock. It's it's back. I mean, it once existed. When was it like 2004? Was that the last one? I'm no, trying no. to remember now.
1: Is it your pe- I think I remember Pele scored the winning goal. Ah, yes. No, that was... It's called the Hand of God. Something else. Something different.
0: Uh, Scott Stinson from the National Post has some thoughts on this this new format the NHL's come up
1: with. Okay, but I want to say I think it was 97, wasn't that it, when uh, Mike Richter stood on his head? 96. Kept, was it 96. Yeah. Nah, I just remember I was watching that at Stavros with my brother. There's a good bar that's no longer there. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs>
0: enough of this trip down memory lane. In you know, 2004, there was also 2004. All right. World Cup of Hockey. Anyway, we'll get to that. The secondhand economy... Is what we're going to talk about right now, which I, I guess isn't new. Right, garage sales have been around as long as there've been garages, I think. Right. Classified ads used to be the backbone
1: of the uh, newspaper in a lot of uh, uh, as far as revenue goes, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but yeah, we've always been fond of not of saving a, a little bit of scratch by buying used stuff.
0: Well, now we got uh, well, I guess Craigslist is the big one in the U.S. Kijiji, and it's it's kind of an interesting story, I guess, how Kijiji emerged. Uh, in Canada as the main digital classified service. But uh, th- this stuff's become huge. Uh, and, and a lot of people, it's not just let's get rid of the junk in our basement. It's let's make a bit of money by doing this. In that sense, Kijiji almost becomes like Uber. Right. You're, you're, you're selling stuff. You're, you're competing against actual retailers, but you're doing it on your own time and essentially doing it unregulated under the table.
1: Let's, uh, bring Lindsay Ted's into this, uh, conversation now. Uh, Dr. Lindsay Tedds, that is, Associate Professor of Economics in the School of Public Administration, University of Victoria. Uh, also visiting prof at the School of Public Policy at the UFC. So it's good to, uh, to have you on the program today.
5: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So this, uh, this sharing economy or the secondhand economy, um, it strikes me as, as being kind of a different uh, beast altogether in this day and age, as opposed to you know a decade or two decades ago with uh, garage sales and classified ads and stuff. Because I see that when Kijiji advertises, they also tell you to be like a recycling warrior, and it's sort of part of this keep things out of the landfill sort of movement. Has that had an impact on on this economy?
5: Uh, you know what we are seeing from the survey results is that. While friends and families are still the primary source for used items, the online platforms are growing and they really are an important part of the secondhand economy and I think they're going to be a driver into its growth because of course it, it becomes much easier for people who are selling products to find those who want the products and it overcomes geographical barriers and it's much easier for buyers to see the product- product And to price shop across all of the different items that are available for sale. Right. Okay.
0: Right. So it's Kijiji that's just released a report on this. Uh, I think they've. Uh, th- this is the first time they've done this. Is
5: that right? This is. So this is the second one. Kijiji second one. has sponsored uh, a survey, and there's a team of academics that are the ones analyzing the data, and we're the ones who wrote the report.
1: Okay, and so what's what stands out to you? Like, what what does the trend tell us, basically, and and who does the trend impact the most?
5: So, what we're seeing is that the vast majority of Canadians are participating in the secondhand economies, but. 85% of Canadians are participating in it, and that's a lot more than participate in the labor force. So this is really a large and burgeoning um, area of economic activity. And what we're also seeing is is that those that are participating in it are doing so to um, they're doing it to save money, they are doing it to earn money, and that's followed then by these ecological factors, right? So economic factors are the biggest driver. Then ecological factors in terms of, uh, you know, giving life to uh, a product that is in their basement and then they're not using it anymore. And then finally, it's um, treasure hunting. Because if you think about it, there's quite a few items that are available, only available in the secondhand economy. You can't find them uh, new. These are, you know, antiques, uh, nostalgic items, uh, things like that.
1: Like French and English language DVDs of the 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Olympic Games, which, by the way, Rob, if you want to buy some on Kijiji, I know a guy who's selling them.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, <how> about that. <laughs> so, is this when we talk about the Kijiji economy? Is is this akin to talking about an underground economy?
5: Oh no, and so you know, this is something that I can't talk about because my. My, one of my research areas is in the underground economy and tax non-compliance, which is why moving into the second-hand economy was, was quite important for me. This is not underground economic activity. This is all above board, and our tax rules have been written such that the m- majority of these items that are being exchanged uh, between individuals are actually non-taxable transactions.
0: Okay, okay, so, so yeah. just to clarify that point, so government's not losing out.
5: Uh, Through government, the secondhand economy? You know, for the most part, I mean, you, you, it, it's hard to say that everybody's compliant with the rules. Uh, but for the most part, um, personal transactions between two individuals, if you're taking a personal use item uh, and selling it for a price less than you paid for it, uh, this is all non taxable.
1: Mm-hmm. So the way government is losing, though, is if the secondhand economy is taking b- uh, business away from the what do we call it firsthand economy, retail economy?
5: yeah um the uh, the product for new goods, I guess yeah there's, right. there's lots of different ways you can phrase it. so one of the most interesting things, and as an economist, this was a really exciting finding for me was that the vast majority of transactions in the secondhand economy are not in fact crowding out the purchase for new goods, and this can be for a variety of reasons, whether or not you're income constrained, whether or not the price in the for new goods is higher than the economic value you place on them, or because the item that you're looking for is no lo- not available in the new in the, for as a new good. Uh, so for the most part, is not a crowd out.
1: Okay, I mean I, an illustration of that. If I if I sell my car on Kijiji, my used car on Kijiji, someone who buys it is probably not someone who was going to buy a new car anyway.
5: That is correct
1: And then I might go replace my current car with another new car or with a used car so there's really no takeaway from that
5: and, and that that is a great follow-on effect that we found in the survey result was that people who are selling their products the money they are earning uh, by doing so actually they're going out and buying goods in the new uh, buying new goods
0: So that, that income, as you say, going back to the tax rules that, that's not taxable income.
5: For the most part, no. As long as you're not engaging in a business activity, as long as this is just a hobby uh, and you're not making very much money from it, no, that income is not taxable. Well, when at all. would it
0: be? I mean, what if someone's really good at Kijiji and it's essentially a, the full-time job for them? Uh, if
5: it, if, if well, this is you know, this is where if Canada Revenue Agency determines that what you are doing is a business activity, i.e., if you are making a living off of it, then yes, that income is reportable for tax purposes. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if you're sort of caught in this area, it would be a good idea to have a chat with an accountant uh, to find out what the rules are and to see how you can become compliant. Because there's lots of, there's lots of great initiatives that CRA has to, um, ensure that people who may not have been following the rules, not for any other reason than they might not have known about them, um, they're pretty good at, uh, working with you to, to ensure you're compliant moving forward.
0: Okay. Cause someone points out and they text us, and I know there are, there are apps that kind of offer this exact thing, but pointing out that people run repair businesses off Kijiji, cash only, that, um, Hey, I'll, I'll come fix your your leaky faucet for twenty bucks. That becomes something else at that point, doesn't it? Uh,
5: you, you, again, you know, it's a fine line between whether or not you're doing something as a business activity or a hobby. Uh, and so, again, it, you know, it's it's. I'd love to say there's hard and fast rules, but you know, our our tax system would be easy if there were
0: hard and fast rules. <laughs> okay. uh, and,
5: so this, again, you know that you just want to make sure that what you're doing is above the board and you're following the rules.
1: Actually, Judy also is a listener. She just texted in with to blow the lid off a scandal. Uh, if uh, is a tax-free domain, then why is uh, why do thrift stores, who are in the second-hand economy, charge uh, GST? Do they? Okay,
5: yeah, yeah. Well, there's what? different rules. One, if you're um, so this is what we sort of call traditional bricks-and-mortar stores. Yeah. Uh, if you are a charitable organization, uh, then then no, of course you do not. Or you're not paying. You do not have to charge or pay sales tax at a charitable organization. Uh, but if it is a business activity, um, then they are and they're above the thirty thousand dollar threshold for GST registration. Yes, they are required to register for GST and they are required to um, charge the tax to its consumers.
0: Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So if I go buy a, you know, a, an old. Uh, blouse at uh, value village i'm going to pay gst on that
5: yeah and if you buy a used game from your neighbor it's not subject to gst but if you go to ev games they are required
0: yeah
5: yep they are required to charge gst so i mean that's just about this idea of what's the difference between personal transactions and business activity
0: right
1: but it shouldn't stop you from buying that blouse though rob i mean it frankly brings out your brings out your eyes Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Ted. can we keep you on hold for just a sec? Because I have a few more questions about this secondhand economy, but we've got to take a commercial break, which we will pay taxes on, by the way. These will be like brand new commercials people are going to hear.
5: Sure, I can stay on
1: the line. Okay, Dr. Lindsay Teds is our guest. Uh, Talking about the Kijiji secondhand economy and and why it's important, why we should pay attention to it, because it's sort of interesting, and it's this this current, I think, that a lot of us participate in, but maybe it tells us something a little bit bigger about consumption in Canada and why we should pay attention to it or keep an eye on it. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.
0: We're back with Dr. Lindsay Ted, visiting a professor in the School of Public Policy of the University of Calendar. We're talking about the second-hand economy, which, going back to the the beginning of the conversation, Lindsay, I mean, you know, garage sales, flea markets have been around forever. So how much of a game-changer are websites like Kijiji and Craigslist and others like Uh, that?
5: Yeah, they're a really uh, important game-changer. So in economics, we always um, worry about transactions costs. You know, the harder it is for buyers and sellers to um, find each other and evaluate goods, the less activity there's going to be. Online platforms reduce that cost. It becomes very, very easy for, you know, you can take five minutes while, you know, you're waiting for the water to boil. Uh, go online, check out some of the products, figure out what the prices are. Uh, it's very quick and easy, and you don't have to leave your house. Uh, so, you know, online platforms like Kijiji are going to be um, really driving, I think, this secondhand economy as we move forward.
1: Right, but the only problem is that sometimes you buy a Delta planer and, and uh, the guy who you bought it from uh, had a nick in one of the knives and then he didn't bother to include in the package the blade changer, and so you got to go online and find one of those. and It's a real hassle, isn't it?
5: Well, I think one of the things <laughs> you have to remember, I, I can't speak of that because I actually don't even know what that is that you're talking about. <laughs> uh, the one thing that you want to remember is you're a consumer in this market, which I am. And so you have to be smart. You have to carefully evaluate things. If you're, uh, you want to be safe about going to pick them up, you want to make sure that they work. And the one thing, um, that is really nice about these online platforms like Kijiji is they actually have documents on their website to tell you how to be a safe consumer, how to be a savvy seller, um, how to stay safe. Uh, And uh, that really, really helps people make sure that they get the most out of participating in the second-hand economy.
1: So here's the the big question that I have about this, because I think it's it's fine and well for Kijiji to go and, and do this survey, and then, you know, it becomes a news story and we talk about it. So Kijiji is going about this public relations play very intelligently. Here we are, giving him half an hour with the airtime, basically. <laughs> but behind all this, now, we're, you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that we're talking to the economist, Dr. Lindsay Ted's on the phone, about what this means. And so do we see that the second-hand economy is more robust in pockets of the country that uh, uh, are experiencing maybe more severe economic hardship? And what can we discern about, like, what's the big picture here that, that we should be able to discern from this smaller picture?
5: Yeah, you know, at this point in time, you know, this is only the second survey. And so, you know, at this point in time, you know, making calls uh, about, trends is, is hard to do, which is that two data points. So, you know, to be able to talk more intelligently about the relationship between what the measured economy and the second-hand economy, we're going to need more data for it. But what we do know is that what if what motivates people is to save money and earn money, uh, then there is some suggestion that when... Uh, the economy is retracting. If that motivates people, we should see more secondhand transactions. However, there's this other pull factor. If the reason why you're selling something is to go buy something new, then they may actually, you know, work in this in the same direction. So those, these are sort of correlations that we're going to have to wait for more data to be able to disentangle.
0: In terms of of how governments view this, it is you you know you alluded to the tax rules and the tax rules are are the same regardless, but. Um you know, garage sales used to be, at, you know, you got to buy a permit from, from your municipality to have a garage sale or classified ads. If that's revenue going to newspapers, and, then newspapers in Canada are paying corporate taxes on their revenue. Um, Kijiji, for example, is is owned by eBay now. Um, I, so are, are are we losing out in that sense or, or does it matter?
5: Well, here's where, you know, again, I, I can only talk about the survey data. And what, what we are seeing is because um, individuals are um one is if it's, it's, it's the activities in these cases where individuals may have bought a new good but instead are buying a used good right so in these these one-third of cases where it, there is this crowd out the advantage of the it actually is the fact that most of the new goods brought into Canada are imports right ninety percent of them are imports so that money that is, that's being spent just flows out of out of the country because they're spending it in Canada on used goods, the money's staying here. And then that money is then being used to fuel more mm-hmm. purchases. Mm-hmm. You know, So there is this interesting symbiotic relationship between the secondhand economy and the new economy that we're really going to have to keep our eyes on and, and and understand how it all works together.
1: It sounds to me as though you're saying that purchasing an entire set of limited-edition Burger King Lord of the Rings figurines still in package <laughs> is like a patriotic duty.
3: <laughs> uh,
5: <yeah. laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to be the one going out there and saying, you know, thou shalt buy Canadian because I'm an economist. And, you know, one should buy what makes sense for you given your preferences. But, again, the survey data is allowing us to start understanding the interaction effects and the cost and the benefits. And that, that I think is important to understand. And I think moving forward, it, we're really going to have to keep our eyes on it and understand all of these effects.
0: All right. Fascinating insight, Dr. Ted. Thanks for joining us here today. appreciate this.
5: Thank you very much for having me.
0: All right. Lindsay Ted's is a visiting professor in the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, an associate professor in economics at the University of Victoria. we got to take a quick break here. We're back with more right after this. Mm-hmm. Well, someone else texted to mention there's the app, uh, Virage Sale. I mean, mm-hmm. there are other sites like this, but this guy says, you know, I can't stand Kijiji for all the fraudsters. That's a concern. I, You know, I... Mm-hmm. If you could guarantee to people that no, we you know we rule out you know we root out the the fraudsters, I, I th- still think there are people that are leery about buying stuff on on Kijiji for that reason. Yeah, but I, I kind of wonder, right? Because there's different
1: levels of fraud for different categories. Like
0: tickets. If you're buying tickets, right. that's tickets, a big
1: one. Services, but I mean, no one's going to defraud you out of the when you buy a hammer. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And the other thing too is like uh, the the fact that people will invite you to your house. Like I'm selling a TV. Come to my house and look at it. Like are you nuts? <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, I bought some goalie pads on KGG once, and right. went to guy's house, and they were there. And showed me. So yeah, you know, it wasn't like meet me in a dark alley and give me the money first, and then I'll go get the pads out of my car. Was oh. come to my house and look at them before you buy them.
1: Oh, okay, but to me it's the other way around. Like, you know, come to my house and buy the goalie pads and the guy shows up, looks around your living room. Uh, okay, I see what
0: the buyer being.
1: Yeah, yeah. no thanks. Trouble. Not interested yeah. in the goalie pads, but the guy just cased your joint, right? Yeah, nice. No, that's,
0: yeah, that's the other side of it. No, you're right.
1: Put the goalie pads in the blouse, in the truck, meet me at the Starbucks. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that the Kijiji's absolutely genius, in it, but I think that sometimes people expect too much out of it, too. It's like, oh, there's a paint chip on this 15-year-old item that's yeah. undergone severe use. <laughs> yes, there happens to be.
0: Well, someone texted us, too. says, there's a guy I know in, in Okotoks who sells outdoor stuff in Kijiji. They purchase this from the U.S., and it almost sounds like it's a, a business for him. So mm-hmm. h- are there people out there who do this for a living? And then, I guess, follow-up is, are, are they paying tax on any of that? <laughs> All
1: right. Um, we come back from the news to 1230. Uh, and, by the way, I will have my uh, <clears throat> limited edition uh, Burger King Lord of the Rings figurines complete package. It uh, completes that uh, new inbox uh, available later today on my Kijiji store. Uh, but when we come back from the news to uh, 12 o'clock, we're going to talk about the World Cup of Hockey and what exactly the, the World Cup of Hockey is supposed to be because I get grand images uh, uh, Rob, of like kind of trying to rejuvenate the Summit Series, you know, like the, the what the Canada Cup used to be. And I think we're getting really far away from that vision.
3: Well,
0: it's just OK. It's country versus country, best versus best. Uh, soccer figured out a long time ago and other sports have struggled, hockey included. So what we'll hear from Scott Stinson from The National Post when we come back, Kincaid and Breaking Ridge on News Talk 770.